They got my name is Holden Stefan Roy, and this is the show where we talk to interesting people such as yourself, and we like to walk through the story of your life, learn more about you, and try to extract knowledge nuggets from your existence, and just try to you know enhance all of our life together. Um, with that, uh, I do have like a proper opening question, but in order to make that one make sense, can you just take a quick second to just kind of introduce yourself briefly, but most importantly, you need to tell us where you start your life, like where your early parts of your life happen. Okay, so you want me to present myself uh, by answering that question too? Yeah, just like a little brief introduction so the people know who you is and then, you know, where you start your life. All right. So this is from live on behind the suit. That suit. Yeah. I'm here on Twitch. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. So just to let y'all in on a little background for where I come from. I'm originally from Quebec City. So uh, that's where I, I started this whole rap shit. Because uh, back then when I was going to school, I, I had Yo, people. Actually, we're going to go we're gonna go into all of that in immense detail with the Quebec City, with what you're saying. Trust, we're going to do this right now. So I have my right, question. Right. It's going to be a little story, but then after you're going to see it's going to land. You're going, we're going to start talking about it, and we are going to go into everything you were about to tell us about, but with more detail than you were probably expecting. And it all starts off with my girlfriend, and she's washing the dishes one time, and uh, she's playing that Black Eyed Peas song, that, I got a feeling, ooh. Right. She's vibing, she's dancing, she's washing the dishes. I'm looking at her, and I start thinking, when the fuck did this song become chores music? And I say that because run it back like 10 years, especially up where we're at. Um, that's some middle of the night, everybody jumping in circles, super drunk, party banger anthem. Like it is the soundtrack of fun. 10 years goes by. All of a sudden, it is the soundtrack of chores, of running, of dishes, cleaning up, all of this kind of stuff. Because, you know, that's kind of what happens when you get a little bit on in life. You start listening to the stuff to go back to the nicer times during the more boring times. And it got me realizing about the evolution of people, right? Because, like, the song doesn't change. Songs just... They're songs. They, they don't really do anything but stay songs. But people, we evolve so much that we create this context and this environment and uh, around the music that its role in our lives and its purpose and position changes so drastically as we go on. And then I started thinking about the stories of artists and how like every single time you talk to a rapper or artist, you watch these interviews, it's always starting at the same place. This like adolescent age, even in school, where like life has happened and then you encounter hip-hop or you encounter rap or you start to form your identity if you think about how like music kind of plays a role if you go back to being like super young there's a lot of music and a lot of sounds and a lot of things happening that nobody ever really talks about before we have any real control over it like i can remember being five right like back in montreal um basically we like my dad would have the, the gray boxes in the apartment the fucking the amp the tape deck the preamp the radio the, all these things with the wires going out to all the speakers he'd be busting his little right. zeppelin tapes but at nighttime though it's live from the clubs mc mario mixes and things like that my mom she had the star 92.9 love songs and the musicals and all these different things and so all of this kind of surrounded me and i was forced to listen to it plus the radio plus this and all of these things influenced me long before i had any say at all in what i was ever going to listen to in my life so with that 
before we even get to the school part, I was hoping you could run it back to the earliest frame you could remember being, especially in Quebec City, because while I'm from Montreal, it's definitely not Quebec City. It's got to be a different vibe. And if you could run us back and tell us a little bit about what it sounded like to be you growing up uh, before you had any control over it, before the you start getting into hip hop part. Okay. Well, just just before we get into all of that, I just want to let you know I got into hip hop when I was like 12 years old. So if you want to go back, we're you even are saying like childhood yeah. shit, man, because nobody talks about the childhood and it's always gems, bro. Like what your mom was bumping, what you, you know, the stuff that was around you that then leads to that 12 year old hip hop, which I'd argue is a next chapter in the story. But the first chapter is definitely before you cared, before, like when was when the stuff that's around you. Well, as as you said, when you start the journey of music, it's really it really starts back to uh, to following what your parents are listening to. Because at that point, you know, you're just you're not really buying music when you when you're a child. You just kind of just vibe into what your parents are vibing until until I was able to go and start buying some CDs and, and really start developing, you know, uh, seeing what I really like. So I, I passed through many musical genders like. Uh, genres like you know even punk music you know I was when I was young for some reason I really like like hardcore hardcore metal when it was screaming because you know you're like nine and you like to scream and you dissociate to that you know and then it, it went more into the route of like the punk music and the rancid and the no use for a name and like old school bands like that you know and uh, no effects and things like that because um slowly at that time you know the skateboarding was kind of kind of being introduced with the same type of world as, as the hip-hop in terms of uh in terms of the lifestyle of, of partying smoking and then just just having fun you know the rock star lifestyle basically you know uh so it kind of it kind of fusion into that and then even dance music because at some point you're young and you just want that boom 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 because you just like to move around and and then you know it came it came into that part where you know it was more like influence of of people people older than you because you're like okay what are they listening to and oh I like that rhythm and then you said the head nodding you know and 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 then you start start listening to Tupac and Biggie and you know and so, all that way. so like how do you like find music because you got to keep in mind like. A lot of this stuff is super obvious to you, but not super obvious to anyone that's not really from where you're at in life. And that's the thing is nobody start when I go through this, people never have the same answer. So it's like wildly like your story is mad yours. Like what kind of stuff were your parents into? Like what was some of the early shit that you would have heard? Um, it, it was a mix. Like they, there were a lot of music from the 70s, you know, that my mom was into the 80s, but it, it wasn't anything like particular, like she listened to some Paula Abdul, like some, uh, my, my stepdad listened to, to the Beatles, uh, like even some, some Quebecois music, you know, like all these little, uh, these, these Baudamage and, and groups from Quebec that were uh, a bit more like doing that type of 70s music. So uh, it was, it, it was always like music that, that you know, Nothing, nothing very smooth. I didn't grow up like the classical music and and like very laid back music. It was always a bit groovy, a bit funky, a bit, uh, you know. Uh, did they I, have I like? Did they have like records or was it like the radio? Was it music like a big part of your household or was y'all like into other stuff? Yeah, I mean we had we had a lot of a lot of cassettes, you know, 
at that point it was more like cassettes, not really vinyls. So they had the cassette, the tape deck, you know, until they made that switch and you needed that little tape to put in the thing to put your CD until they had the real CD in the car. <laughs> oh shit, <laughs> I remember that. Um, Okay, no, that's fair, man. So that's cool. So like you, and how do you like start to find music on your own? Because even beyond the genres, what's really interesting is like being in Quebec City, like what is the norm? Are y'all like, do you have like the radio station everybody bumps? Is it the music videos? Is it like, how do y'all actually hear music? Yeah, well, I mean, back back then it was really, you had to go to the record store like HMD or Actionable, and then you had to go, you know, by letter and, and genre of music and select, you know, and you, Back then, it was kind of a thing to kind of find the rarest hip-hop uh, CD you could ever find, you know what I mean? So when you went to HMV, it was always, oh, shit, there's this thing that's 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 been imported from New York, and there's only three copies, and it's way more expensive, but I, I want it, you know? And then you'd go get these these kind of really underground hip-hop, you know? Me, I, re- I was really into the underground hip-hop in the beginning because that's what, what was cool, you know? It was like... It was the mainstream was whack, and then it was all about on the ground, real hip hop and real shit, and you know, uh, you know, everything that was related to that. So that's why me, as I started straight with with the lyricists and 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 the type of beat makers that that, that were already legends in the hip hop game, you know. So like when when you start listening to hip hop on some Dr. Dre, and then the first the first album I bought when I was twelve was Nas. It was written. And your first MC you listen to is Nas, and then you know, and these types of production, it's already like, uh, you know, bringing you into a headspace where you're like, oh shit, this I, I, I got to discover more of this music because this these words play. When you hear rhyme, uh, Nas rhyme, rhyme all these all these stories and and all these rhyme schemes, it gets you more into the art, you know. And then you're like, oh, I like these rhyme plays, you know, and I like these. I like how he plays with words. Me, I was really more into the, the lyricism than the music in the beginning. Right. So I was really more like trying to, okay, is he good? Is like, can he rhyme? Is there multi-syllables? Is there metaphors? You know what I mean? Yes. And then if it was too basic, you know, and it was just like little everything rhymes with the same thing and it's just no, no metaphors or nothing, I didn't fuck with it, you know? So that's why... I, I was really more into all the lyricist lounge and the and the first underground mixtapes that were coming out. You had this lyricist lounge uh, with Byron Monk and Mos Def and, and and all these lyricists back then. You know, and the Dilated Peoples and and it, they were Mob Deep and it was all like a lot of the New York. I started a lot with the New York shit. You know, because that, that's where I grew up. If you want to go back then and kind of bring it back and where my essence of New York is, is because from one to five, I grew up in Connecticut, Greenwich. So, yeah, so that's why when I came in Quebec at five, I kind of already absorbed all the, the, the English that I needed to uh, be a bit more advanced in my city because when you hear people speak in English from Quebec City, you kind of, you know, you spot them real quick, you know? I'm not even going to so, lie. There was a part of me that was surprised at the level of bilingualism you bring to the table coming from Quebec City. And and, and appreciate that because it's all, it's not about, it's, it's really about practice. Because even back then in Quebec, I, I wasn't able to 
speak as much in English over there as when I moved to Montreal. But when I moved to Montreal, it's just like the practice of speaking more English every day. So then it just comes back to you and and rap music. And, and because I was into lyricism, I was always into perfecting my vocabulary. So I was always trying to look up new words and what is this and trying to trying to bring my my rhymes to the next level. You know, so. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where it, it all started for that question. Did you like? That's kind of how this flows, man. We're just gonna keep going like this, and we just move through your life, bro. And then everything comes out. Everything anybody else would ask you, you're gonna answer, and I'm never gonna have to ask it properly. I promise. <clears throat> um, but uh, basically, like, are you like when do you start like actually getting into music? Okay, this one's more cliche, but like from that point, you're 12, you're bump, you're buying albums and shit. You're already into it. At some point, you say you you met some older dudes who are like already into it, and that kind of transitions you into wanting to do it. Does that happen when you're 12, or does that come a little bit later on? It came a little bit later on because that back then it was more like I was more like the the the, the observer, so I was like looking and seeing. Okay, and then. The, old, the older friends were talking, they got shows, and then you're like, what do you got shows? And oh, they're performing here and there. And then you kind of listen a little bit to their music. And then I just started writing in French, actually, in the beginning. I started rhyming in French. That's why the name Fran is, is written the way it is, because it was Fred plus rhyme in French. Is, is That's how you write it, F and, and the name is R-I-M-E. So then I just... Ah. One year later, after writing in, in French, I, I didn't feel related to it. I didn't like it that much. And I started writing it in English. That, that's what I really felt because I, I was raised in Connecticut, close to New York. I was really feeling that vibe. And I was like trying to go that way since I could. And I was bilingual. But then I switched it up to, to, to English, writing more in English. But it, be, it began by like just listening to like the 36 Chambers and like spitting a verse from Inspect the Deck on and on, you know, and just spitting that verse from Inspect the Deck. And then, you know, having another outcast and then throw your hands in the egg yard and wave them like it just don't care. And then trying yeah. to memorize their verses because they had complicated flows and, you know, so. I really hate all that. It started by imitating the best until I was like, okay, let me start writing my own shit, but then uh, I needed beats, right? So then the, the first things I was doing back then, I was using the end of the, or the beginning of certain, uh, certain songs I loved. And then I would put it on a tape deck and then I would just start it at the end of that, uh, where the song would let, leave me like 30 seconds to fit. And then they left like 30 seconds of beat there. And then I would practice my part there, you know? And then I was like, okay, now I really need beats. And I had heard from this. That's right, Willie. Uh, pause tapes. It's always good when we get a pause. T- I, I don't know what you call them in French, but that's definitely that pause tape game. Exactly. So then I was like, fuck, I really need beats. And then I was in Future Shop back then, just shopping around. And then I was like, oh, I saw this thing called Hip Hop EJ. And Hip Hop EJ was basically a CD with a bunch of uh, a bunch of drum loops and a bunch of melodies, already pre-recorded melodies. So with the funny thing is a lot of people in Quebec kind of knew about it back then. It was kind of one of the first things you could produce with easily because you just had to like open the program and, oh, I like this drum loop, I like this melody, you know, and just put it, and put it together. Kind of a, 
uh, even more old school garage band that's easy. Like, nah, bro, super you gotta easy. understand. It was so easy. My dad got that shit because my dad used to just be sh- like, he's the kind of guy that if he, he got the computer and then he would buy bundles of software, not because he cared about the software, but because he liked buying bundles of software. And in one of these bundles, he got this beat making, this this VJ. I think it was the fourth one. I, I, I remember four. It might not be four. But I fucking sat there as a teenager, and I was able to, like, make beats on this shit. You don't know what you're doing. It had in-depth features, but without touching a single one of them. When I say in-depth, I mean, like, you could go a little deep and change some shit around if you, like, wanted to fiddle. But, like, I didn't do any of that. You could just slide shit, and it sounded good. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Everybody loved the same melody, so then it was funny because one of my one of my friends I was rhyming with, I had a, a group with him in the beginning, before before I kind of switched in English, and that we we did the beats on hip hop PJ, and uh, we were, he was living really far. I was living like an hour by bus, so because I was on the south side of some shit. And then we were practicing over the phone our songs for the upcoming shows because he he knew certain promoters. He got hooked up with certain promoters and was able to book us because he was kind of organizing too, you know. So that's how I kind of slipped slipped into the performing, uh, doing shows in Quebec by by one of my friends. But it was just so funny because, okay, let's start the beat in the back, and then we're there on the phone practicing. <laughs> Yo, you were basically doing Zoom call rap shits long before any of us ever thought about Zoom and the need for it. <laughs> right, without the camera, but definitely the same type of shit. That's wild. So back then, the group the group I had with him, we called it Qualité uh, Obscure, which means obscure quality. Because back then, too, a lot of French rap was popular in Quebec, like I Am and all these groups. And they were all at the Côté Obscure de la Force. And they were bringing all these things, you know, inside their music. So we called it Qualité Obscure for some reason. And uh, we started doing little shows, man. Doing our, like, two, three songs we had done on Hip Hop EJ, their little verses. And we, we did those those songs here and there in, in little places in Quebec and colleges and schools on the in church basements and shit like that. And, and, and how, how old were you when you started doing all this? Um, I would say about 15, 16. So you're like 15, 16 doing college tours. Not, not, well, not really like college, but like that's where the shows were at, you know. Right. So it wasn't really the school being there; it was more like the bars they, they and shit the- around them. Or, and I was so young, I had to stay like during the mic check, and I couldn't get back out from the bar because if I they catch me, they card me. I couldn't even perform. I'm not even supposed to be in the bar, you know. So then I had just just to sneak in and just stay, in, just stay in after the mic check, and I can't, I couldn't go out, you know, <laughs> just trap until the show was done. Right. That's <laughs> that, serious. That that was the struggle, you know. So um, it was just funny because everybody, like I said, even you, you said you fuck with hip hop PJ. And it was just funny because you started to hear other people in Quebec that had hip hop pizza. So they still they chose the same melody but with a different drum loop or the same drum loop with a different melody. And then you're like, ah shit, you still they got our shit. And then I started getting tired of it. And I was like, okay, now I need real beats, you know. So 
I hooked up with a guy that was uh, that was producing on uh, F, uh, not FL Studio. It was called Fast Tracker Pro, and it was it looked like MS Dust, and he was just like instead of all the programs now are horizontal, and it goes from left to right when you play a song. But for that re for some reason that one was from up to down. It was like you were sequencing, you were sequencing, and like you were seeing the whole sequence going down. I see. It's it so really weird. weird. Just to like think about yeah. it. Yeah, me, yeah, I didn't know nothing about it. I just came here like I like these couple beats, and then I started buying my beats for like forty dollars because, and then I made my real song on my first beats, you know, buying, buying off him. But, you know, as you get into the scene and you get into the whole thing over there, obviously you meet other people on the scene. And I started hanging with other rappers and other producers, and uh, including one of my my now good friend over 20 years. Uh, I call him Johnny Got Skills, Johnny, Johnny Got Skillsy. He always had my back. He was producing back then and he was giving me beats for free. And... Um, and I had this other person that was called GP Matt, who was a part of a collective, a big collective in Quebec City. There were about 12 rappers. And he saw me perform once, like I was alone on the stage. He was like this French kid, he's alone, no back vocals, no, no, no nothing. And he's just out there performing his, his uh, songs in English. And he took me under his wing back then around 16, 17 and started just giving me all the beats I wanted. So all the beats I did, okay, if I needed it for songs, he would let me do beat, uh, songs on it. And he had the little home studio, so he started to record me. And it was really like a basic setup. It was almost like a, a, a show mic, you know, like a little mic for shows and just performing a uh, recording. I think it was on Sound, not, not SoundForge, but... Uh, uh, so, uh, Sonic Foundry, or I forgot, I forgot what it was called. I another shit. Uh, acid, acid. Mm, right. So I, I got really lucky because I did one little car. I was doing everything myself, and now I got under that the wing of this guy, and he was more like I was seventeen. They were already like early twenties. All that 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 um, it was Man. called the ambassadors. I'm not gonna lie, there's definitely some luck in that probably the english was helpful but like you still did a whole lot already i mean at like 15 it's not like i'd be fucking writing songs proper and recording them on my own shits and i mean i dibbled and dabbled but i never like i had the means to do these pause tapes with the, t the shit in my room like i could have done that and i chose not to but you chose to do it and it gave you advantages later on in life kind of thing so, like, I would say, yeah, there's luck, but you were definitely there and ready for the moment when it came, whereas many might not have been. Right, right. For sure, I was ready to go, and that's why it was cool, because it gave me this whole experience. I didn't have a lot of featuring at that moment, and it, it just opened up, you know, to all these people around me that felt my music and felt I was good. So, it's just like, okay, this is my crew now, you know, and it was called... There was the Good Samaritans, and it was called the Ambassadors. There were like 12, so you had people in Quebec, another part of the crew was in Montreal, another part was in Jean-Pierre. And then we, when, when there were these shows, we all got together and performed these songs, a little bit like like Wu-Tang, but you know, like everybody had their verse on different songs, and we just all performed together, you know, as a collective. 
So uh, that was fire. cool too. Had the, I got to ask uh, a question because, like, it's going to seem maybe a little ignorant, but what's the Quebec City hip hop scene like in the, at that time? Like, is it big? Like, I don't know anything about the Quebec City hip hop scene. I know that stuff's bubbling in Quebec around, I'm assuming this is like the early 2000s, late 90s. Yeah, that was the, yeah, exactly around that time. So they. So it was, it, let me tell you how it was. It was really small, first off. It wasn't a lot of people of color, so it was a, it was all you know mostly mostly white rappers, you know, in the beginning, and then came a lot of the of the other cultures slowly and slowly, you know. But it was always a bit more a couple of years back than Montreal, you know, in terms of so the urban flavor was kind of slowly getting into 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 Quebec while it was already dominating Montreal at that time. So it was right. more like. Uh, I would say a very, very small scene. So, so the, you know, it's the people I knew that were more like, you know, coming out of different places, not necessarily born in Quebec, but were now in Quebec, were already in the urban culture, you know, and they, they were starting to organize a lot of things and trying to take advantage of something new because back then it was just on TV, it was starting the hip hop. It was really slow, you know, in that moment, I think, uh, Sans pression just came out and all of that. So it was, it, it was, it didn't really have an identity before. It was just like people trying to rap like French, like Europeans. So everybody was rapping with a French accent, even though that's not how they spoke. You know, so it was the, uh, it wasn't really, uh, it, was, it was, it wasn't really a mature scene, I would say. It was just like a bit more uh, a scene of a bunch of people trying to imitate what they like. And back then it was a lot of French rap because that's what was sold in the stores. You know, it was the French rap and the, the U.S. rap was a bit rarer until, you know, that's why at first, okay, there's the Wu-Tangs, there's this, there's the Rec One. But like, you were looking for the little mixtape that nobody knew from the Killer Bees and, you know, try to see you know, Killer Priest and Rascast and all these other ones and uh, Planet Asia and discovering all these other flavors, you know, so... It, it was kind of digging in the crates, but in the CDs in the city, because we didn't have access to all the same music as uh, as everybody. So is it like like France predominantly would be like the main stuff that gets sold? In the, in the beginning, it was more of that, you know. It was less of the English music a little bit. That's wild to think about. Like, I guess you don't. I mean, coming from Montreal, I mean, you know, English is available. It's just kind of. HMV has all the English music. I vividly remember that, but I couldn't imagine walking in and it's just all French music, and then like the English stuffs just kind of in a corner, and you gotta hope that's. Well, it was it was mixed in there, but you know back then they didn't have that much record labels in hip hop either because it was like No Limit, and there was a uh, you know Aftermath, and then, mm. you know in New York there was a couple ones, so there wasn't that much to look for either you know like everybody was kind of um, pushing their music in Canada for the first time too at that time they weren't really like out there like that you know that makes a lot, a lot of sense and it's interesting to think that it has such a France influence at first because like I guess you just don't when I'm young Everybody just kind of made fun of all Quebec music. I don't know if it's because, like, in the 90s, it was cool to make fun of French people. 
but that's just kind of like what I remember. And so I don't really give any of the Quebec music a chance till I'm like well into my adult life. And um, <clears throat> it's just nifty to think how like like France inspired it has to be in order to before Quebec could become like sustainable enough to have its own distinct identity from France. Kind of like what the Anglophone scene did with New York. I think it's because it wasn't even cool, you know? It wasn't even, like, you would just sound weird to rap in Quebec because it's just not elegant. It wasn't elegant. Not a, it's not a beautiful language that much to speak in Quebecois. No offense, no offense. I'm Quebecois purlaine. Like Both of my parents are from Quebec. I was born in Quebec City. But, I mean, come on, guys. You know, like, if you've been here for years, you don't need to. To speak like uh, like you're on there on the farm and raising cows, you know. I mean, like there's the ways to speak to make us look normal, you know. And sometimes it's, it's kind of like Americans too, you know. There's the redneck Americans that always make the people look look a bit, you know, dumber than they are. So it's just uh, I don't know if it had an impact on me being a French white kid out of Quebec City or anything, but it's just. It was kind of hard to to, 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 to to stand out back then, you know, in terms of, like, I didn't have as much swag either, you know, in terms of I didn't know nothing about swag. I didn't care about swag, and that's kind of what sells in the hip-hop game. So I'm at a show with a regular shirt or whatever and not care about nothing. And I wouldn't I wouldn't even know what a barbershop is, you know, or, or wear shades or whatever, you know what I mean? I had no beard. It just looked, it just looked weird, and back then... You just like rock wear and just anything that was really baggy. So it was like really slim and baggy. It looked really good. Nah, I hear that. I appreciate all of this. This is the good shit. Like, I mean, for you, it might be like whatnot, but I'm all about context, right? And so the more you share stuff like this, it gives me stuff to think about because you know, I'm going to run into people from Quebec City in the future. I don't know enough about it. So, like, you're kind of giving a window to the people here about, like, what a parallel existence in the very same place we all live is, you know? Right. Uh, it's just two hours away at the end of the day, but Montreal just always been more urban, you know? That's why eventually I had to move there because I was kind of stopped. And, you know, already being bilingual, you could have a better job in Montreal because you're bilingual and there's bilingual jobs. So, in Quebec, it's just... Uh, mostly 90% predominantly French job. You don't really need to speak that much in Quebec English unless you're in tur tourism or, you know, other other representative roles that require you to speak English. But uh, it's it's not a place that, that people even try to speak English that much. You know? They don't even try, so it's kind of unfortunate but at least in montreal it's like the very 50 50 so it's cool it's uh, it allows yeah. you to be it, it, that's why it brings more that urban side because everybody's comfortable in montreal you know even even uh black people or other cultures that there's enough people here to speak in their language you know this is just everybody's here you know it's a whole it's a whole basket everybody all the ethnicities are here in quebec is just it's not as, as multicultural that's wild. So, like, do you put out, like, your album before you move to Montreal, or are you dropping your projects and stuff before you come down to Montreal? Uh, no, I, I, I released the first album when I was in the collective. It was around, like I said, 2003. And I think it's one of the, t 
it might sound funny, but it's one of the times I think I made the most money with rap music back then. Because I, I made these over here. I don't know if you guys can see properly. Uh, bring I it a little closer. Uh, yeah, you can see that. It's like... So, so I actually, back then, I had went to the printer and I made 300 of these by hand. And I was folding them and putting it here and removing the shit and putting it in the back and then pressing the top of the CDs. So I made 300 of those, always, always had them in my backpack. And I managed to sell 300 for $10 and made $3,000. And it cost me $3, $3 a CD. So it was a good profit back then for me when I started. And uh, yeah, so it was it was cool because I had done everything myself and it showed, you know, that basically you can make money independently a little bit with, with your music besides and it kind of shows you that if you're moving in shows and you don't have your cds you're kind of just wasting your time why are you performing if you're not going to sell your cds at the end of the show you know that's the whole reason you're trying to you know <laughs> You know, like when you say it like that, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. But the answer to your question is because, yo, when you start, it's drugs to perform. Like performing is drugs to a lot of people. And like whether it's because you get girls or whether it's just because of whatever. But I don't know, man. You get addicted to it. Like, I'm not going to lie. If it goes long enough, I'll be like, I'll go do some dumb shit and take like I'll go look for something. You know, like you just crave it like an experience. But from a business standpoint, you're absolutely correct. And I think more and more artists need to hear that shit because like doing drugs just to do drugs is maybe not the best move. You got to find a way to make money on doing drugs. <laughs> right. Exactly. What, it, it's, it's all, it depends on what age you really start and if business is a part of your mentality at that time. But now it's just obvious to me, but it wasn't obvious to me back then. It was you know, that basically when I made those CDs, I wasn't really thinking about the money. It was just the way to get your music heard is to print your own shit and start trying to start to sell it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, and, you know, I kind of came in at a point where I was kind of at a turning phase of the music too, because the CDs were kind of disappearing and then even the music on TV was disappearing and then the, the free music came along and it was like, I kind of got stuck in that whirlwind uh, of bad luck in terms of, uh, you know, I had the good luck of being signed on one of the first Quebec labels that's very big right now. It's one of the biggest labels. They don't have the same name, but back then it used to be called a music. And uh, I made an album with Universal Canada in 2006, but uh, we made the, the whole album was uh, half French, half English. It was called Classic. I had a group called Classic. And um, it, was, it was called the redefinition of hip hop, you know? So it was just all, all a bunch of timeless classic hip hops and he was rapping in French and the end of, the end of his sentence, I was rhyming the end of the sentence with the beginning of mine and it was making sense and rhyming. And it was like one, like we sold a thousand five hundred albums like all around stores, which was a small amount back then on the record label. But I mean, the, I don't even know that many people that I've talked to that can say that they sold fifteen hundred units in the stores at any point. 
Right. Well, I mean, back then it was just like, because what happens is it was kind of, if, if you should don't sell enough in the record stores, then they don't want to order it back. They don't get a good impression. And then the price of your CD starts slowly rising in the store. So then it sells less because it's less attractive, right? Price-wise too. So you really, if you're going to make a first impression, you really got to make sure to make some sales. So, and we got kind of, we, we got kind of fucked too, because not because of anything else than a lack of experience, because the guy that was running the label back then probably didn't know either. But if we would have known, uh, we would have made the album differently, but in Quebec to get all the grants and everything, you need your album to be 70% French and 30% English. And our album was 50-50. So we got we got a, a stick in our wheel because we couldn't apply for any grants and wasn't eligible for any grants during the moment that I needed it the most to push the album. So that kind of sucked because then I had to like get into the hole. I had one of my friends back then that it was like, okay, bro, uh, I just studied in film and in this. So if you want, let's buy a camera together and I'll make you guys' music videos. So I was like, okay. So back then a, a mini DV camera, which used tiny little tapes was $3,500, you know? So I split half with him as an investment because I was like, at least I'm going to be able to make my own mu music videos and he'll be there to film, right? So... I was kind of forced into doing my own music videos uh, because we didn't have the grants, you know, and we didn't know necessarily a lot of people doing videos back then. So we started with him and we, we filmed like a couple videos and then we're waiting on the editing and I'm waiting and I'm waiting on the editing and, and I'm not getting any finished product. And I'm like, hey, when you come out of the fucking film, films of school and you told me like, you told me you're going to film and edit that shit, you know, like, where's the videos? So basically, the guy knew everything, how to film, how to make everything come out super nice on camera. But when it came to editing music videos, they don't teach that in, in video school. They, they teach film. So music videos are a completely different game when you edit music videos. You know what I mean? It's not just one scene and you cut at the scene and it's another scene. It's a bunch of scenes that have to be layered together and make sense and, 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 and cut each other really fast, you know? So he came in front of it and basically he didn't, he started editing and he's like, bro, I don't know where to go with all of this. So uh, he he installed the crack version of Avid, uh, Avid Media Composer back then, which was one of the most professional video editing programs you could ever have. Uh, they used it in TV and everywhere, but it was also very complicated but that's the one he learned in the school. So he was there next to me to the footage, basically teaching me how to edit video in this program that I never used in my life. So I edited it. But me, because I already started producing music and I was making music, it was like chopping audio a little bit, you know? So I kind of got used to it and I knew that, okay, if I put an image there, it has to cut on the snare, it has, it has to cut on the kick to make sense. So by the time i made the 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 second uh no the third video you were like okay this one is good let's send it to much music so we sent it to much music and back then you had to go and 
transfer it into a specific format of another cassette to send it to much music right send it by, and send it by post <clears throat> and they had a committee and then the, the committee watched the video and they decided if they added it to programmation so i get the call and then they say oh uh, your video got into much music so i'm like oh shit so uh, I didn't hire no professional crew. I, it was my own camera. I edited, it was my third video I edited in my life. But because the guy, the guy, the guy knew what he was filming, it came out super crisp on the, on the, when you watched it on the, on much music, you know what I mean? So I was really happy. I was like, okay, I think I could, like, I could also edit videos. So then that's why I was like, okay, I, all I need is somebody to just film. So then, Basically, the career developed into like my after that into my solo path, and um, I just had a bit a bit of time solo and like refining where I was going and was working on my music. Like I'm skipping some stuff, but it's like not all important anyways. But and then okay, and then it, and then you know I left the label and I started my own my own independent. Uh, label called Out of the Dark. Uh, I knew, I discovered how to distribute my music myself using CD Baby and getting thoughts. You know, when you're starting using My MySpace and you, you code your MySpace page to, to make it look good in the back, and you know you get into all of that shit. You know, which is kind of guy getting into marketing because the whole music shit is all is all marketing. At the end of the day, you're just doing music and you want to sell it, so you're doing the flyers, the, the cover, the, the music videos to market it, you know? So without knowing it, I was already Which is kind of handy in this day and age. Yeah. And, um, you know, back then, I all my beats I produced directly on the MPC because one of my friends only lent me his MPC until I bought one. And uh, everything was just on big discs and floppies, and I was just... I had my vinyl, uh, and it was all like DJ Premier, Alchemist, you know, like Pete Rock. These were like all the real hip hop producers, you know what I mean? So, so uh, the, it was all the art of going to the record stores and digging in the crates, you know, and going to find those dusty records and, and, and fucking shadowy places and, and be like, oh. I found this $3 record. Let me bring it home and listen to it. And then to find a little piece that's fucking amazing. And then starting to chop it up on a screen that's fucking this big on the MPC and assign it to your pad. You know, so it's the whole art that's, that's, that everybody in hip hop should go through. And the reason why is because of all that music that you buy and buy and buy all those vinyls of different genres of music from, Latin jazz to, to, to rock to fucking everything in the 70s, it inspires you so much that you don't notice it, but that's where you get all the soul too, you know, because you're sampling all that fucking soulful music from the 70s to do your hip hop and you're listening to all of that. So it's kind of absorbing all the roots of music because the music was so organic back then, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, I was just thinking like about it. Like, a bunch of people have definitely mentioned to me this process because, like, I never got into the, the production side. Fuck, uh, up until 2016, I can say 
Okay, between high school and 2016, I don't give a fuck about an album. There's like I probably listened to ten albums in full in that whole period from like '05 to like 2016. Then I started doing album reviews because I felt I was really shitty uh, understanding hip hop, and that forced me to listen to so much shit outside of my comfort zone that I kind of really appreciate what you're saying. But then I started thinking about it when you're looking at dusty ass fucking disc vinyls in the back of a store. You have no idea what the fuck it is. Yo, producers must hear a bunch of wild shit. Good, bad, goofy, all of it. Like, to a realm where, like, I don't well, think I really give a credit to how much music they listen to in volume. Yeah, and it's also you're listening to the music asking yourself, what type of drug did they take before they recorded it? Because this shit is like, they'll never reproduce anything like this again and they couldn't because they recorded on fucking on tapes in the studio and it costs a fortune to cut a tape for, for the song so that's what it was you know so the shit was weird some part they just kept it there so yeah man for sure you listen to a lot of basically you just you just it makes you realize how music can make you feel free because it's just all these all these people on these tracks and these funk and James Brown, they just feel so free on the track and they like they, they express themselves in so many different ways that you're like, wow, it just makes you love music more and more because, you know, uh, as somebody that was always a bit more, uh, you know, reserved and music was kind of my, my Superman suit in terms of like, outside of that, I was somebody very calm, not really doing, you know, too much crazy shit, you know? <clears throat> and then when I had my thing, it's like, okay, boom, I'm frying. And then that's when I get out my shell, you know? And then people are like, fuck, that's you? And then nobody, nobody, that's that. Every time people hear my music, that's you? Every, like, that's the first. Nobody ever said, oh, that's good music. You always have to verify the fact. That's you? You know, that sounds like a black person. Okay, but why? Why? Because my voice is deep. I gotta sound like you know. But everybody, but no, nah, that you man, that's that's some that, that's a black rapper. And then I was like, but why does it have to? <laughs> but it, it's because people looked at my face, and, you know, saw the man in a suit sometimes because I was working in sales, and they're like, the guy in the suit is fucking rapping too. Like, what the fuck is this? That's hilarious. Because my whole rap stick is to rap in a suit every single show I've ever done and I basically go through the guy in a suit rapping thing all the time so I can highly appreciate where you're coming from in a deeply personal way. So that's always basically the feedback I got from my music. Everybody always had a good good feeling with my music even before it was actually good to me when I listened back. I'm like, people like that shit before. That shit was whack. I was making whack music and people were vibing to it. And and now you make good and better and better music and then there's less people vibing to it. So you're like, it, there's a thin line in terms of how people want it to be professional. It's like sometimes they don't want it to be too professional because they feel they just relate more to it or some shit and then it's just too professional. I don't know. Man. No, that is one of the most insightful things you've ever said or not that you've ever said, that somebody said to me recently that, like, hit, like, deep in some shit I've been thinking about a lot lately, right? Like, I did a whole experiment this year where I basically mixed and mastered my own shit. Now, allow me to be clear. I am not an engineer. And when I say mastered, I mean I didn't master it. 
um, I just submitted it to Spotify. I wanted to see what would happen. And people started telling me they liked it better than shit I spent money on to get done nice. And I was like, dude, that shit's weird. It sits weird. You And I listen to it and it's the vocals sound like ass to me, but people are telling me they like it. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I don't understand. And like people be vibing and shit and I'd be confused because my old ass is all like, but I'm supposed to get better. But then you start questioning like, yo, but like, what does better mean? <laughs> and where, where is that fine line? Because like you said, it's all marketing, right? Like, so it's almost like people have to believe that what you produce is at the level of professionalism that meets their expectation of you in a sense. And it, and what you're saying is in terms of um, like, you'd be surprised how many people record on their phone nowadays, you know, and it sounds better than somebody that goes in $25,000 studio with an engineer that doesn't know what, he, what he's doing. There's a lot of people in the game buy $1,000 of equipment and you go in the studio, look up and fly, you record the shit, and then they're like, oh, no, I can't, don't make it listen to nobody now because I got to mix it, you know? And then you hear it and you can't even make it listen to nobody because it sounds so terrible and you record it in the $25,000 studio. And it's like, then you realize it's just the level of quality of engineers. There's, there's engineers that while you're recording, they're tweaking the thing a bit, but at least you have a version that's listenable when you get back home, you know? And, and they're not the ones with the $25,000 studio. So it, it's weird. All of it is. But yo, on that phone point, apparently phones apply an EQ mix that boosts vocals almost like to perfection. Is it custom? No. But like if you're talking raw vocals versus a phone mix, your phone may be a better mix. Just like come off sounding better just on like... Because I started hearing shit like when I would record videos for a TikTok or whatever, and I might do a little one-two rap on my phone here, and I started comparing the actual sound of the quality of the vocals on my because I have a Galaxy S10, um, pretty solid, whatever, not the best, but whatever, and it was like, yo, this like kind of comes off nicer than like this mic, where you gotta put effort in after the fact. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I assume that the mic with the right level of effort produces a superior product down the line. But unless you're getting the right series of things, like the right engineer to write everything, you're kind of better exactly. off sometimes with the lower end tech these days. <clears throat> yeah, because sometimes the thing will be so good that if the guy can't adjust it properly, it'll make you, make you, uh, it'll sound like it's also very bad because it's too accentuated. You know, like if, if like the take was great, but if they don't apply nothing to it, it just sounds very dry and very bad, you know. So, and, and I went to studios too, they got like different mics and they pretend they know what they're doing with all these mics and then they make you test like three, four mics. Okay. And then they're like, yeah, this mic. So basically you use a mic different than everybody else on the phone and then they can't, you can't hear, hear yourself on the song. And then you're like... Why did you make me change this whole fucking mic shit? Can't even hear myself on this fucking song. Raise the fucking volume up or something. You're like, why was this microphone recommendation on the table? Ah, <laughs> 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 I love it. I mean, this is some useful stuff to me. Like, 
I don't know that people know anything. I don't know how many people ever walk in and be like, bro, I had these awkward recording sessions where bad things turned out and it wasn't flawless. Yeah, man. Well, now it's because the, 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 the producers from this age are just more blessed in terms of everything that's... They have maybe 50% of the job that's done. A lot of the producers use like pre-made loops now, a bit like hip hop PJ, but back in the time with all these trap loops, they're using, uh, you know, mixers that are like super virtual instruments now that you, you press one thing and everything compresses and all like everything is just easier than before. You don't need to buy any physical gear. You could do all your music from a laptop or even phone. And you even know, so. and YouTube, I'm gonna throw YouTube in. YouTube, so the game there's changer. no value that everybody can push music before you needed money. If you didn't have ten thousand dollars or a minimum to push yourself, you know, back then they, nobody would hear about you, you know, like because you needed fucking at least ten thousand dollars to do all your shit and bring it out on physically but now it's just you need no money i could record a song now on my phone bring it out tomorrow on spotify it'll cost me 15 dollars. that's true but like the the parts that come after that are usually not free that stops all the connections because then no can no what's the value of a connection right now that's the thing is like so i'm actually like thinking about this too right like they're it kind of just moved online. That's the real answer. All the payola, all the shit, it's still there. It's just different. Like, yo, there are good playlisters, but you got to find them. You have to go actually holler at people and go, yo, what's good? Blah, blah, blah. Actually talk to people. So it's more like a lot of what used to take place in the clubs or in the, in the, in the physical world is taking place in Gmail because honest or instagram direct messages and because like i can tell you i've made enough valuable connections off the internet to be like aware that it's kind of out there i mean yeah we met in real life but most of my shit's all all internet but internet like community like that montreal facebook anglo scene community of 27 to 45 year olds is huge what i'm saying is that the connections that you made uh, another person can can get that same connection very easily now compared to before was like if i if you didn't have my mm. personal number like if somebody would have to ask you yo you know from yeah okay what's his number you know so i want him on this interview but now somebody like you said can just holler at me on my dm i see what you're saying it. there's a level of accessibility to individuals that is there it's still hard to know who the individuals are that part's complicated as fuck. It's a giant puzzle, and I know I don't know all the people I need to know, and it drives me nuts to figure out who they is. But um, you're right. Once I figure out who those people are, fucking easy peasy lemon squeezy. I can get a hold of anybody. I'll give you another example, like Twitter. Before it was just Twitter was the button. Right. When uh, when I got into my solo career, I raised all my music from the past and restarted from that video that you you played earlier in 2010 with Freeway Rick Ross. That was kind of the beginning of my rebranding. So I got, a, I got a couple of questions that I think we need to timeline. When did you come to Montreal? I came to Montreal like, uh, now it's been like 15 years ago. So 2006-ish. When I was, when I was like 22. 
cool. So you came to Montreal then, and then that's when you're going through your like soul searching phase of figuring stuff out and whatnot. If I'm not mistaken, well, I'm just like getting established in Montreal and starting, you know, getting involved into the scene here, and you know. What part of Montreal did you come to? What type of what? Sorry. Which part of Montreal did you move to? I was at first. I was close to Cremazie Metro, so it was more like unsick. Right. Right. That's so, I mean, close to the metros back then, you know, close to the metro is the place to be. Nah, that's fair, man. I don't know that many people out in a hunt stick. I'm not even going to lie. It's just, I hear the words and I was looking, I was looking at it on a map and I'm like, it's an hour away by bus, right? So, like, it's far and it's French. And, like, as much as I don't care about the French thing from that point of view, it's, like, none of my life has ever had the word a hunt stick, like, get attached to it. Like, I know it. I've been there one, two time, But, like, yeah, it's weird how this city works out where you could just live here and just never end up in entire fucking areas just because of that. Yeah, Yeah, there's just places you don't like to go when you're in Montreal because you there's little sections that people are more comfortable. There's people like you talk to them about Laval and the people from Laval, you tell them to go to the South side and it's like, they, they feel it's this whole big distance, but it's just 30 minutes. You know? Nah, man, I, I went through that. I was like, I had to go to Shamadi for a show. That's the show I was at with you. I was like, I had to go to Shamadi for that shit. And uh, <laughs> I was like, it was, a, it was such a good time. Was so with going to Shamani for it, but then you realize in a car and shit, yeah, Shamani's not that far. I go just as far to work as it would have been on bus to Ville Saint Laurent, <laughs> for real. Um, and yeah, we do act like shit's far, Willie. We very much do. If the STM does not get you there and you have to leave the STM, it feels far. I don't know how else to describe it. The STM could take me to RDP. I'm lying a little bit. RDP's fucking far, but in in, in my head, it feels closer. Than something like Laval because I'd have to like pay an extra bus ticket. Yeah, because people, me, like back then, I didn't have a car in the beginning, beginning in Montreal. Like, it didn't last too long. But if I had to go somewhere, I had to be like close to a metro station, or else if if I checked on the map, it was like a bit outside of. <laughs> if I'd had to take a bus and transfer, I was like, I ain't going. I'm with you with that. Have to be walking distance from the metro. <laughs> so after you get established in Montreal, uh, what gets you to like take a come back in with this new rebranding? And how do you link up with Freeway Rick Ross? Well, well, basically this is how it happened. I, I was doing my own music um, uh, in terms of doing uh, working on an album and recording a lot, a lot of songs. And then, like you said, there was the venue of Twitter. And at that time, I just started to just try out some stuff. I wasn't choosing the proper features back then at that time, but I was choosing the features I liked. So I reached out to Havoc, the Mob Deep, and Terminology, and Sky Zoo, and Planet Asia, Buckwild. You know, I was reaching out to people on Twitter. And most of the people back then, I don't know, it was, it was, they were answering back. And, some of them was the artist directly. Some of them was the manager, but that's where I got all my features. Like in terms of like connecting with with all these American rappers at first, it was all through Twitter. And uh, you know, just okay, holla, okay, 
this is the verse, okay, it's $500, whatever, boom, here's the beat, they would send me back the verse, you know, that we would collaborate. So, so that, that's how I first got a certain respect from other people, because then I was starting to show I had some solid features, so I had this guy called Spark, and then uh, he was with Big Apple, he used to manage the weekend, and uh, and Drake back then, uh, at the beginning, with the shirt, I'm not a rapper, um, they offered me this deal and they were like, okay, well, we can manage you. And it was about, and it was a crazy amount per month. They were charging me like almost two G's a month, but they were like, one was in LA and one was here. And, uh, then they were already managed for the belly weekend, Drake, you know, people like that. I was like, okay, it's going to cost me, but I'll be in good hands. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe that's my next step. And they were helping me choose the best songs I did from all the, you know, the multiple selections, the multiple ones I had recorded. And it kind of started like that. I started, I, and then I went to the bank and I took a loan because back then you, you heard stories like Drake and take a loan to invest in the shit. And you're like, okay. So I took 30 G's at the bank and I was like, okay, let me uh, do what I need to do for my career. So. I paid my features, you know, I was paying this management two G's a month, but I was expecting quick results because I was like, okay, now I'm in good hands, it's gonna be quick, but it was still taking certain time for, for certain aspects. But then that's when, you know, I paid myself a video in, in Los Angeles by Black Diamond, and, you know, uh, I went in Los Angeles and they had planned all these studios I had to go to and meet the people and meet Rick Ross because they were doing a newspaper back then called Swag News, and it was a paper that it was everywhere they printed. It was like a hip-hop newspaper. They had French Montana and all the big rappers. And uh, Rick Ross came out of prison like 10 months ago, and they had hooked, hooked up with him some type of way, and they, they planned to come and do his interview uh, a day before uh, my video shoot, and it was where the video shoot was supposed to be at, which was a sushi shop on Hollywood Boulevard and um, it was in the basement they had this whole big studio built in the basement so basically that's where I kind of met Rick Ross because he came there and did his interview and then we just spoke and you know we connected we did a little interview just you know for the cameras and everything and then uh, uh, that's how we connected and I made him listen to the song and the song was called It All Depends On You and because he came out of prison 22 years instead of 25 because of his the way he was acting in prison was good he kind of felt related to the message i think so because then he felt okay yeah it all depended on me to get out of prison too and he really he was like he was really feeling the track and uh so i told him at the end you know he left and uh, we were like everybody was playing bye and whatever we went to all eat together and I was like, yo, the, the video shoots tomorrow. So if you want to come, you know, have a, an appearance, you know, whatever, we'll, uh, we'll put you in the video. And he was trying to back then be known in Canada too, because he was trying to claim his name. He was in court with Warner Brothers, with the, real, with the rapper Rick Ross to try to get his name back. Because when he came out of prison, he had no money left from the millions he made selling Coke. He was just, he just had his name. So that's what he was fighting for, you know? So, to my surprise, the next day when the video shoot went down, he came true. 
and he showed some love and he just, you know, appeared in the video and we did some, some interviews. That's why I was able to like sample, put some samples of him saying, hello, je suis le vrai Rick Ross. And then I in French, because I was like, say it in French for the Quebec people in the beginning of the song. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, he just, he just did the cameo in the video and nobody understood how this French white kid from Quebec City was, was with this Scarface from Los Angeles, but it just happened that we crossed paths and we kept in touch, exchanged numbers, and we were just calling each other sometimes because I had this other website I was doing called I Need Hip Hop, which was a blog. And I had him do an exclusive interview on that. You have a blog I, too? Yeah, I had a blog back then called I Need Hip Hop. And, uh, and then my manager uh, hooked up with some other guys from Quebec City that love my music. So I made a deal with them because they wanted to push their, their clothing brand. And they were going on this Quebec tour to push their clothing brand everywhere. So I said, well, on top of your clothing brand, let me give you my four, four or five mixtapes. Let me give you my frame hats, my frame shirts and all this shit. So you could go around and also sell those things and, and just play the music. And people would be like, what's that? Oh, these are the mix CDs. And so I had made a deal with them to sell all my shit and, um, and go on tour and do some, some of the dates with them, you know? So then that's when we kind of decided to, they had bought a Winnebago and we, we found a sponsor and sponsors to, to, to wrap it all up with my face and everything. So they kind of, they put their logo, my logo, and then I put a big picture in the back of me and Freeway Rick Ross. And then like, uh, that was my tour bus and I had a tour bus. I don't, I don't remember how it all happened, but that's what it is. And we pushed it. We all paid we had an old Winnebago, but wrapped up like a new tour bus, and it looked amazing outside, but it was an old Winnebago <laughs> inside. The, like, uh, I, I didn't want to go to stops and, and, and have and have people look too much because, you know, the tires were screeching and everything. But the, from outside, it looked amazing, you know, and everybody was like, how the fuck Trump got a tour bus? And then uh, Rick Ross saw that his face was on it, so I was kind of the spokesperson for... Uh, oh, he's the real Rick Ross, basically, because there was whole, this whole controversy back then, you know, when he was coming back. Yo, I know exactly what you're talking about, because I was a Rick Ross hater back then, because I'm not going to lie, I love Rick Ross music now. But back then, I'm a lyrical miracle, fuck anything that sounds like whatever, I don't understand, white boy. So, um, I was like secretly low-key hoping that Freeway Rick Ross would win, and Rick Ross would have to change his name, because he was a correctional officer and for some reason exactly so that's why you saw earlier you were playing my mixtape i did with him and we gathered all the people from canada with the dj crowd from from montreal and he was just supporting everything i was doing because he saw i put his fucking face on my tour bus so imagine how a blessing how much of a blessing you see somebody's coming he met me once in la he took a couple some pictures and and then he's like, I'm putting him on the tour bus. So he's like, at that time he was pushing, he was pushing a freeway, freeway music group, FMG. And he had some rappers on his label. So every time I was doing new songs, instead of paying for features now, I was just calling Rick Ross and saying, okay, I got this new song I'm going to release. And we're on tour, we're this, that. So who you want to put on the song? So he would say, okay, I got Paris Montgomery. I got Deep Powder. I got uh, no, no, no. So you just then they would just send me verses, and I, 
started collaborating with so much people from the West Coast like that, you know. And then that's how I got connected with Mac Lucci because I almost did a feat with Snoop Dogg that was supposed to be paid by a skateboard brand with uh, Jay Casanova that had uh, his own skateboard brand and stuff called Selfish. And it was all planned that I was going to shoot the video with Snoop and Venice Beach on, on the skateboard part. But uh, finally they choked. But at the end of the day with Freeway, I, I kind of, I discovered Mac Lucci and I said, yo, I saw he was in his video. But then, can you put Mac Lucci on my next song? So then he just, I was able to get Mac Lucci's number and he just hollered at him and connected for the feature, you know? So there was very, it was a lot of a blessing because the guy was, even though he is what he is and he did what he did, he was just very humble and very, uh, you would talk to him like he's just one of your friends, one of your buddy. How's your daughter? How's this that? You know, da, da, da. And he, he would stay a humble, you know. Then I made jokes sometimes like, hey, you get too big again and I won't able to reach you. He's like, no, nah, I'm always going to ask you. <laughs> and now he got too big and switched numbers and he's unreachable. But if they see him, if they see him, they'll see him and you're going to be like, yeah, fry you know, but but it was a cool time. And then it's just different in Hollywood. You know, I, I got to go to some places and they were playing my mixtapes and I got everybody, when they when they understand the, the language compared to here, they don't fully understand sometimes. You know, even in Montreal, half of them won't understand. But when everybody's rocking with your music and you're in one of the like most popping clubs and the owner accepts to play your music and everybody's just vibing while they're eating lobster pizza and, and, and drinking like Patron and shit, you're just like, you know, I think I'm made to do this, you know, like everybody's vibing to my music and everybody loves it, you know? And everywhere I, I went to these studios, okay, they respected the music, they respected this. So nobody ever hated on my music that much. You know? I never really had a lot of hate towards my, I never felt anybody was like, oh, never heard feedback like that, you know, through my career. So, and it was always getting better and better. So it, it was kind of, easy for me to elevate but it was just the steps were getting bigger you know i almost featured with snoop it didn't happen fuck i wonder what was the next big move i had an investor almost had another feat with nas that didn't work when we spoke to the manager it didn't turn out then we were we were just trying to find investors because then the music is good the videos are, are good everything is good but you just then you you need a $50,000 to get played on all the US radios and that's what it cost for one one song in U.S. if you wanted to play on all the radios is about $50,000. So then you need investors, you need money somewhere, you know? That's why a lot of people will start in the game and, and, and get to a certain point. Like even people here in Montreal, they'll get to a million views, but they'll never get to 50 million, 30, 30 million, 90 million views because they're not, when they get to that last step, when they, they just already feel on top and they're not even near the top. They're just getting started to get get their government and nobody takes advantage of their organic reach to have a million and start advertising and doing more shit for them and doing bigger feats and doing bigger that they just stick another start doing features with people here and nobody cares that you'll keep having a million two million you know so that's why at least throughout my music career i could say i was the only one of the only rappers in quebec to have on my tour bus I've met one of the biggest respected drug dealers. I have the best street cred. 
you know, that no anybody has, you know, I had some, some features with some of the realest people in the hip hop game in terms of not the mainstream, but, you know, that are still respected today. And it's just like, I did my thing, you know, and it's just, I had, I, I was pushing, 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 and I had something going, but it was just that last step was really big. So that's why I kind of, I kind of <coughs> ran out of money at some point. It was like, fuck, man, I'm just spending money. I'm not getting any money back, you know? And it's not a good investment. It's not a good business. I need to do it some other type of business. So I turned around into production now. That's why I'm working on a project for to put all the music I produced since 2009 and put it all on the audio stock platform to make it available to people available to people like you do podcasts or videos or content and just choose one of my beats to play it in the back while they're doing their show, you know, instead of having all this music, you know, sleep on Yo, my hard drive. You know what's wild, though? Have you ever actually looked at the numbers on ambient music? Like, if you ever just produce, like, rainforest shit or whatever, like, just the actual numbers on that shit? It's wild. It's fucking yeah. fun to listen to when you're doing work and crap. It's just nice background noise stuff. My girlfriend watches Fires. Like, like it's a four-second loop for eight hours. Mm. And that shit has nine figures in view count on organic, just people. Like, you know, like there's, there's a lot in production. I'll tell you what happens is that now I try to produce people. I mostly I give my my production to people I know they're gonna do something good and professional and decent. unless it's not really at that point I don't really spend time because a lot of artists will listen to your music but it's not like before well let's say they'll come to see you right and they're like yeah I'm gonna go see HSR because he has his own sound and I want that sound they'll come. They listen to your whole fucking repertoire of beats banging their heads. Yeah, man, this beat is dope, man. Yeah, that's another dope one, man. Ah, oh, yeah. Oh, this shit's fire. Oh, let me note that one down. And then after listening to all of that, they'll bring out their phones and they'll be like, well, can you do one like this, though? And then you're like, just get out of the studio, man. <laughs> like, do you, you want my, my musical signature or you just want to sound like everybody else? Because now you're just making you listen to somebody else's beat. Did you come? So there's no more, really, no, no, nobody really cares about having their own unique sounds. Now it's just, let's do a track. Okay, I like this trap beat. Okay, they record the song, they release it. They don't spend two years working on their album, you know? I'm not saying nobody does it, but... Nah, my God, because like, what I see is it's it's younger people. Like, when I say younger, I mean 22-ish and younger that be yeah, taking yeah. the two, five years to make their album because they're like, bro, you're 30-something and you're rapping. I got seven years to make this album, bro. I can fuck around with singles and experiment for the next five years. And what I found was remarkable with the little ones... Because, yo, millennials be a bad representation of shit, if I have to be honest. We we have not fully played the music game good. But the little ones were on YouTube at 12 with all the time in the world to learn how to do shit. So by the time they're, like, 18, they've got, like, seven years of fucking, fucking around. I'm, I've talked to a 17-year-old with fucking 350 songs. I was like, oh, you, you're going to have a career because, like, 
I mean, yeah, the rest of what you're going on about well, money and shit. That's what I was saying earlier, right? Now, back then, me, I had the blessing to have somebody that was already producing a lot and he was giving me a recording fee uh, with him producing my music and recording me. But now it's just everybody can produce and record. That's why they just do songs and songs every like. And they're so focused on doing 300 songs, they don't even push a song for for more than a second. They're like, oh, this is my new song. This is my other new song. They mm -hmm. just get excited about every new song they release. And then nobody heard that first song. Like that's And that's a big mistake because they should take time. To, if you notice DJ Khaled and, and all the greats right now, they release the song months in advance, almost fucking 10 months in advance. You listen to the fucking song 10 months. And then you love the song already. And then boom, they drop the video. And then you're like, ah, then everybody goes wild on the video. You know what I mean? But now think... everybody like release the video and the song at once. And then another video and song. And then they don't push the audio anymore. They just put audio visual. Because that's what people want to see. But that's that social media shit. To, 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 to say, oh, that's one of my best songs. And I'm going to really keep pushing that one too even though i'm gonna bring out other things let me push it a bit longer did i reach all the medias to talk Fucking, about it no it's interesting that you say that because th so i think it's a couple of things to it one i'm back to that kid that kid it took forever to even release his first ep he made those many songs what he's releasing is a different number they what i'm saying is they get the practice in and then they hit the early 20s but they've been on instagram since they were 12 so they understand marketing so right. what they do is they throw burner shit out, release a lot of bullshit because they know the album's going to sell and the album's right. going to be perfect. So what we're seeing is a lot of like their equivalent of mixtapes, but it's playing out through reels and like, why wouldn't you make 37 visuals if you can do it on your cell phone? Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Uh, it's no. that, that kind of... So I agree with mu yo, music videos is kind of a weird place. Ain't nobody doing a lot with music videos these days. It's actually like... I wish people tried harder is all I'm going to say with music videos because, like, it's too easy. And I'm not good at music videos. So, like, I'm not going to pretend like it's, like, my forte. But, like, when I consume Airbnbs, cars, the same kind of scenery, I don't know. It just feels like it's – that's where I see what I think you're talking about with music. Um, but I do see people pushing audio. I just don't see fans. So I feel like – What's wild is the people that are most likely to discover you are like 19-year-olds on YouTube looking for obscure fucking music. So it's like this weird cycle to land on Spotify and not a lot of us know how to get there. But once somebody fucking likes your song, that's it. It'll go up organically forever. They'll listen to that shit. Like It may not be every day, but they'll just keep coming back to it once they like it. So well, to, to make to make a living now, you just need thirty thousand people to listen to your songs two times a day, and you're good. You hear that, Willie? Sorry, thirty thousand people that ain't that much. It's not that much. So when, you, when you when you add it when you add it up per month, it's millions of streams. But it's still thirty thousand people that love that song. They just listen to it twice a day. So right, let's be real. That's, like, that's, if you like a song, let's. How many times you had to run that back? It wasn't enough that first time. You can't even help it. It's so easy when you hear a track and you like it a lot to bump it two times in a row. But um, I do think that the younger generation 
is just learning about conversion funnels and they recognize that there's no point dropping the album when they don't have the fan base and the the truth is is throwing fodder kind of grows organically like i released a fuck ton of music this year none of its album my album shit's gonna come but now every time i drop my follower count goes up on fucking spotify and that never happened before so it's like it's almost like this weird rock in a hard place where it's like you're forced to release a lot of bullshit so that when you do release you're good it's gonna sound but that's kind of what mixtapes was like it's not that different but it's just but, that's, but that, that, that's people that start because then somebody like me that did thousands of songs it's just always hard example earlier you played one of my songs it all depends on you like that concept is deep that concept is timeless that that moment in time of doing that song and that message it was the whole reason like that that was the tour back then it all depends on you tour because i was taught that even though you're trying to help everybody around you it all depends on them to make a difference it all depends on you to make it it's about you wanting you know what i mean so that whole message and to tell you the truth like i made songs ever since that one and it, it was always hard for me to be like how can i do a song that has as as deep of a message as that that released and that's always the challenge as, as you get do better and better songs as an artist to keep doing a song that's better than the last one because then if you don't do what fans are expecting then you'll lose the audience because they're expecting a certain sound and then you switch like example gucci man you listen to gucci man uh, gucci man 10 years ago is the same type of app as now and he's not going to change because he knows that's what the people want to hear he's not going to go and switch his whole vibe and start being on some pop shit people like like snoop when he started playing some reggae nobody bought the, the reggae Then you talk. He still wanted to do a reggae album. Uh, when Outkast, the, the guy from Outkast started singing, he had a couple hits, but then nobody wanted to hear him sing. You know what I mean? You wanted to hear him rap. So, like the musical journey takes you through things, but you always got to remember that. Uh, get out of that shell of everybody talking and feedbacking about your music and saying shit, and just disconnect from that and be like, I like my song. I love my lyrics. I love the vibe. And if I like it, other people are going to fuck with it. And they're going to feel that I really, in my music video, that I really like it too, because I you know that's my taste, you know, and I'm not trying, because wanted or not, we're all in that, that uh, influence phase because we see other, other types of music. So all these rappers now, that's why they're on some auto-tune shit, because that's what's but they don't know no better that's that's even what they first Lil Wayne 10 years ago he was on Autotune so if they started with Lil Wayne that's all they know a you lot know, of people started with Lil Wayne in case you're out there wondering how big Lil Wayne is yo even if they're like 29 right now they was probably vibing to Lil Wayne early right so so that's why I realized and I came back to it at the end of the day now it's all about making music that I feel is good to me and that's all i care about i don't want i could hear a feedback from anybody and i'll take it constructively and I'll, i'm the first one to take any constructive criticism but if the shit is a is just bullshit talking about useless things on the song and i don't pay attention to it you know? honestly i i don't really ask for a lot of feedback no more 
I just assume that like because it's the wrong feedback. We're surrounded by what producers, rappers, so we're facts. We're making them listen to other producers and rappers, and their advice sucks because that's not who's gonna who's gonna listen to it. Yo, and then you realize when you make it listen to random people that that are not in that circle, everybody loves it because the regular person is more stimulated by music than everybody else that already does music. But the it's also like, yo, people like regular people do not listen to music the same way that like artists do, like. I'm not ever listening to a song. Like, I have to, like, flick a switch in my head that I had to find, in, in a sense, to become a fan of music the way a fan is a fan of music. Like, I had to listen to a lot of Migos, Lil Yachty's, right. like, a lot of this stuff. Because, well, for one thing, it was girls. It was all about what girls listen to, actually. Um, I did this thing where I was playing Among Us on stream, and I was playing Montreal Music. And I had a, my girlfriend was there, this next girl was there, and I would just watch what their heads bop to. And I was paying attention in my mind. Which songs are their heads bopping to? And yo, like, what am I supposed to do? That's what they like. And they would bop to the same kind of shit over and over again. It wasn't, and I was like, oh. And then I realized rappers be like skill oriented, kind of like metal guitarists that are into shredding and super complicated solos and over-the-top shit versus like an oasis that's just like a good groove and that fucking groove will snag you for nine fucking minutes i mean there's there's still some that will stand out i mean like if you see the new artists that went the independent route there's artists like russ you know there's artists like Joner lucas there's artists like logic that that are still like doing some of that real hip hop shit and they have a whole audience for it. And they're doing 24, 24 bars, you know, 30 bars, 36 bars. They don't even have hooks sometimes on the song. That's and fair. Then, and, and they have a whole audience. For to it. be and fair though, Russ it. is like 80% of his music is like singing melodic. Like definitely but, he knows his music is for women. Yeah, but he's still, he'll still do like like Drake example. He'll still always show that he does. Yeah. Real Yo, Drake did like a six minute track recently, and it was just rapping, barely a hook. Exactly, but that that's that's what I'm saying. So it always makes you think. Of the first reaction of anybody who's gonna make you look or who's gonna show your song to is always like, oh, example. If you're doing a verse too long, they just okay, the, the verse, the, the hook should come sooner. No, 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 no. It should be like this. It should be like that because they think it should be a radio format and all of that. But it's not like that. We don't even put our songs on radio. We don't care about the radio format. We care. I care about somebody who want to hear a fucking 36 bar verse of Eminem. And he's going to like the rapping and the metaphor like I used to, you know? And that's who I care about. So uh, if I want to do a longer verse, now I'm going to I'm not going to care about that producer or rapper friend that thinks my hook should be earlier to make it more radio friendly or more. But my rapper friends are not like your rapper friends is what I've learned in this interview. We have rapper <laughs> friends that want very different things out of music. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm just saying like, but but to, of... to be fair though, I agree that all of our rapper friends are not who we should listen to and we should find fans like, Honestly, find young people. Because I mean, I'll make listen to I'll make my music to uh, people like nineteen years old, and they'll love it. And they never heard me before, so it's like 
at the end of the day, I, that's why I care about. I just care about random people listening for the first time being like, I love this shit. You know, because other people, they hear you every day, they even talk to you. So we, you're like, here's my song, and it has no impact, you know? Yeah, or like, (laughs) or like, if everybody also like, we're all doing the same thing, right? Like, like at a certain point, this like idea of follow for follow, click for click, like for like, all of this stuff, it got really like meaningless to me. Kind of like how you described earlier. You know, like if you don't sell enough shit, they don't want to take you back and there's no like recurring investment and it's like, it doesn't make any sense. I noticed how often like people's numbers would go up, but the wrong numbers were going up. I've seen people flex follower accounts that have engagement rates of less than 1%. And I'm like, that's not actually a flex, my guy. And it's yeah, like, I prefer having a thousand people following me that are real people that care than. 9,000 fake random accounts, you know? Or even then, like, 70% of my Instagram right now, it's it's like this giant Rolodex of fucking rappers and shit. Like, does, does my follower count count? Like, we all followed each other because we're all rapping peers. Like, yeah, it's right. kind of cool, but I know that, like, maybe... A couple hundred people are following me for the reasons I want, and the rest of my follower account is like, well, I got to follow this person. Look at what they're doing. Well, that's why I'm doing it, uh, actual chats right now with Instagram, and I would be surprised with the, the results. I started because I see like other accounts like Snoop Dogg and, and Pete Rock and other people just reposting things, you know, and... and showing basically what they find is a good thing to share or something funny to share. So I started just mixing, uh, taking that app to repost and started reposting like maybe two weeks ago, just reposting what I think is funny or uh, some or somebody I know and try to support and repost on my page and repost and repost. And I realized like people don't want to just see you. They don't care about seeing you every day and I'm here and I'm there and I'm that. They want to see your personality too. They want to see what you think is funny. They want to know, you know, what, what other thing you're saying that, oh, that's that's good music to you and I fuck with it. And and the, the fucking engagement rate since I started doing that because of while I'm reposting, I'm getting the people that took time to write these specific producer hashtags and this, that. The engagement rate of my page went up like uh, 2,500%. And I was like... Everybody should be taking fucking notes right now. That's all I'm saying. This is big boy tips. So so, so, so basically, and that's what a lot of people do on YouTube too. They don't even produce content. They'll go and they'll say, okay, uh, I want to do a top 10 on the best, uh, I don't know, scary ghost thing. So they'll, they'll see all the videos of scary ghosts that they can download for free that don't have copyrights and they'll do a fucking top 10 on their channel and just keep uploading things from other people. And they, they call it cash cows because all the people watch those videos, like top tens of cute Fuck kittens. That, yo, that's like, and, and that's they're making money. Fucking wild. Yeah. And, they, and the same thing <laughs> Instagram right now. that's why I'm posting other people's shit. And it's bringing people that wouldn't normally come to my page. Like, is this just, like, like, is, is this built into Instagram or like, are you working around Instagram? 
Well, I'm just working around Instagram and I have a repost app and I'm just basically reposting what I, what I like, what I, you know, instead of just liking it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to put that on my page too. I think it represents me. Yeah. So anyway, just crazy. And the, I believe the your stats, bro. Hey, this sounds like a viable strategy to gain growth. You know what? You know what? I'm not going to lie. You know how I know? Because you're fucking reposting bullshit caught my eye. I was like, what the fuck is this man doing? That is not his post. But then I re- yeah. But it's like you're giving like full credit to whoever the fuck you're posting from. It's not like a secret. And I was yeah. just super confused. But they were. it was more like uh, it is. It's like it's honestly like the equivalent of random ass Facebook statuses for Instagram. Right. Exactly. You'll just, I just share what I would share on Facebook or something like that. And you go live on Instagram a lot too, I noticed. Yeah, I'm just because I'm here uploading beats to my platform and I'm exporting beats and I'm just, why is, might as well be live at the same time so people, you know, can listen to all the production and start hyping up the site. So tell us a bit about where you're at now. I mean, I don't know what happened between actually. We were at like 2013 in your story, like 2012-ish, and you were like kind of popping. Because yeah. I know the Freeway Rick Ross mixtape thing was 2013-ish. Right. Well, that's, I mean, at, at that time, it was just like where I had to kind of just turn around a bit and get out of the scene, which so I was still always doing music in the back and not releasing that much because I did got tired of not making money so it's just more on my money tip and trying to build companies and trying to do other you know uh money making directions because i mean rap rap is good but it could take you down to the hole too if you believe in it and it's not bringing back the, the money the way it's supposed to you're just gonna go down the drain and it's not gonna work so now i'm happy that after all of that and that experience having my own company for over five years now and a successful company and lucrative and, and having done things I should have done in the past, you know, now I'm able to focus with the whole COVID shit, you know, I was able to, uh, uh, to focus on just spending all my time uh, exporting all these beats that were sleeping because I was, uh, because I'm, a, I'm in advanced marketing now, I'm just like, I was like, what am I going to sell? Am I going to sell candles, t-shirts? I don't care because I, I just know how to do an e-com and market it, you know, so I can make money with this. And then I turned around and I said, wait a minute, I already have the products. I have all my music here. So might as well, instead of, of, of aiming artists, I'm going to aim video creators and content creators and podcasts and everybody who needs background music that don't care about the, about the beat looping too much or not having a transition because that's perfect for their podcast. Actually, they're actually preferring that than a whole music that will evolve all the time behind them. They just want something that's just groovy in the back, you know? So I realized the potential of all my unfinished beats, you know? So as I will now, I went back, I exported so far 2009 to 2015 and, um, I'm, I'm uploading on the site. So it's a huge process in terms of, I, didn't start, I started this whole project a year ago and now I'm uploading. So that's why when you see me on the live, I'm either exporting beats for the platform or uploading beats. And, and people are going to be able to download five beats for five bucks a month. And, 
and and use it for wherever you know and i'm not gonna put i'm not gonna subscribe that shit anywhere so it's licensed to use for anything and and i don't care and i'll be yeah. able at two thousand subscribers to be saying i'll be able to say finally after all this bustle i'm making 10k a month with my music with 2000 subscribers on my audio website And then within five years, I want to get to 20,000 subscribers, five, $5 a month. I'll be making 100K a month with my, my website, with my music, with a bunch of beats I wouldn't have sold to rappers. And then what's going to happen? And I'm going to ex expand that to start introducing other people's music to the platform and introduce specific producers and put all their library and then do collaboration and have other people and add on and add on. And then what's going to happen, then the artists are going to come to us to ask for these. And they're going to say, I like that beat and I want to take it off the website and I want the stem. And then I won't have to do anything. So then I would say, fuck the industry. I'm making a million dollars with 20,000 subscribers and, and I'm, I'm living off my music, you know, and I, I don't need to be in front of the mic. I don't need to go do shows. I don't need to think about what's my next music video, which pitch I'm going to put in the video. Where place I'm going to rent to do the video. I'm just here having fun in the studio producing the music, you know, and that's one of the best parts. And if I want to record, I'll record a song now, but it'll be on my own platform for somebody who wants to use it on the background or whatever, a movie, whatever they want to use it for. Instead of having my song stream online to everybody, that's cool, but I prefer that it's used somewhere, you know, because I have so many unreleased songs too. So might as well put them there too. So it's just creating my own platform, you know what I mean? Yeah, so I don't need anything else after. And it's cool for me because now even after producing all this music, you invite people to your studio and like, oh, make me listen to some beats. And then you're like, you don't know where to start. Then you're, oh, how did I call that beat and this, that. Now at least all my music will be in one place and I can even use this, the filters from the site. Oh, you want something that mood? You want something that tempo? You want something that? It'll show everything I produce in those moves. So it'll be much easier to show music to people too. So, Yo, like, the biggest takeaway y'all can take from this whole situation might not be the excellent hustle. It's to solve your own problems with what you already have. If you can do that, you'll find a million dollars in your head like this man just did. That's some hustle. Yo, that was impressive. Like, I don't, I don't, everybody that was here right now that heard you say that got a top 10 piece of knowledge on this fucking journey I've been on. That's how, cause like, I'm, I mean, like my day job, part of why I'm there is the marketing, the reputation, it's a bunch of that shit. It's like free education. Um, I like my job too, but like what you're saying is some shit that would make investors happy based that you hit every fucking checkbox down to fucking subscriptions. Like that's some next, that's what, that's the kind of shit I want people. That's what I want to hear more about innovative ways to leverage existing technology to make crazy money on the internet from home. Cause then you can go do the fucking shit you couldn't afford to do before yeah man and i mean the the possibilities are endless once all my music is there and i have like thousands of of, of melodies and drum loops and, and beats available i saw on adobe audio stock there's only five partners so there's space for a sixth partner for me to put my music on that 
Adobe Audio Stock too. I got partnerships I could do with virtual instruments to, uh, from Native Instruments. Oh, did you tell, is the website live or is it still being uploaded? No, right now it's still being uh, worked on, but it's going to be 5for5soundtracks.com. Mm. Um, so basically the business model, it's $5 a month for five soundtracks. If you're already a member and you want more soundtracks, then you'll be able to download more for $0.50 cents, uh, an extra. And, and um, Or you could pay for the yearly five, uh, 55 instead of 60 for the whole year. You'll pay for the whole year. So my podcasting homie, I would even argue a sister channel up in this Twitchiverse. We Speak English Good is excited. He's asking about the website and then followed with a a nicey you got my you got big love like everybody in the chat commented on this that's big it. Bro. i appreciate the love and like yo on the real like fuck like even just you could expand it like i want to fuck around with some short form video content ideas because again raps of money sink but you can do everything else to prom and then rap squeeze it in the middle of it right so it's like right. What are the issues that you know what? Because yo, copyright's a real thing, and like people don't know that it's gonna get worse. It, like all you have to do is follow the legal system as their battles progress. Like what you're offering people is something that like let somebody like me get some goofy or whatever vibe background musics for. A couple of purposes i can then go offer voiceover services to the next man with some music behind right. it and double flip it and then on the other hand i can just create content and not have to stress that shit because yo the copyright world what happens is they take your monetization off your content really and also i have the experience of releasing loads of music and singles with music that i've sampled so i already know that the way i produce my music i I twitch the sample enough and I tune it and I chop it enough for it never to be spotted, you know? So I don't use no nothing in, uh, from, from A to B that, oh, it was like this and I'm just adding a Because, like, nobody's ever going to run this through fucking DistroKid or CD Baby. It's all going to go into other kinds of shit. It's never going to get stamped. That's wild, bro. That's a high value for $5. And I checked the market. A lot of people will have much more music, but me, I could say it's music that will be found nowhere else that's exclusive to my, because it's all produced by me, but nobody will know because it'll be on the five, five soundtracks, you know? Yeah, that's but, wild. All but, that's but wild. But I mean, in the price range, even though, let's say, you want to be on another site and they say, yeah, it's unlimited. I don't care that the competitor is offering unlimited for $12 a month because somebody that doesn't have $12 a month will prefer going for five for only what they need. I'm, a, I'm aiming somebody who edits about four or five videos a month, which is a lot of video producers that I know they'll edit about four or five videos, you know? And then if you don't use all your credits this month, it's transferred to the next month. So you never lose it, you know what I mean? So it's 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 a, 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 a big value, and I'm lower Look, than like, I don't like to co-sign shit unless I really believe it. But fuck me, that's a good value proposition for me for anybody out there for that price. Like, 
and it's good for you because yo, why yeah, everyone else is you know why everyone else is charging more and etc because they don't own all the music but you own all the music so you just cut out like a huge cost in this shit thus you can keep your prices at whatever the fuck you want and that's wild bro that's a good value for real and and i already market products i market diamond jewelry so i sell rings like I make five thousand dollars, seven thousand dollars sales on e-commerce websites. So Bro, for me to start selling so you're something, the, you're that, the YouTuber that talks to me about all the the paid funnel, various the Amazon. This is the fucking. Yeah, no, no, I'm, no, I'm not in a bad way, but like me, effectively, me, me, I'm not, I don't like to teach. I just like to get paid to do the work. So if, if somebody has a company has ten thousand to put this month, and they need to advertise online. I'll, I'll be able to spend a certain part on Google ads, on display, on YouTube. Okay, I respect Facebook. that a lot. No, that's a big so, hustle. That's, it's the same thing as music. It's just instead of selling the music, and it's just a diamond jewelry or a product or a service. Yeah. But the marketing strategy remains almost the same in terms of you need to find something. Me, me my strength is to make people stand out, you know, like be out of the box. Uh, like uh, that's why if you go see the diamond jewelry store i did a jingle for him you know the the jingle's funny the guy is dr diamond bum, bum, uh, is dr. Diamond. Uh, like no other jewelry store will have a jingle like that you know and the guy looks like he's just there with his dr diamond suit you know and and everybody talked about it got five hundred thousand views you know? and, and i had people in the city clapping and singing that song not through my music, through my marketing of my client, but it's still a good feeling to now, you know, anybody that wants my services, example, outside, I don't really take new clients, by the way, everybody's going to hit me up after I'm not taking any new clients, but, but <laughs> I'm not here to make clients, I'm just talking, um, but now, just to, just to let you know how content that stands out gives value, if I bring somebody to my website right now, they won't even ask me for a report of what did I do for my client and how many sales I brought because they just see four pictures that look crisp. They, they look, you know, in line with the field. And then I show them a video of a jewelry store that's fucking looked like a $10,000 video and it has the jingle and everything. And that's it. I said, look, I did this website and they don't ask for nothing. They're just so, yeah, sure, do my marketing. You know, so... That's why when you try to be different, it's always going to pay off. Because then as soon as you show you're different, people are going to want that creativity. And, that, and the creativity is what has no price, no price point, you know? Because not everybody could just look at a product and be like, oh, this is the whole marketing campaign we'll do for you right now. And, and I have all these ideas about it, you know? They're like, oh, I don't know. Can we do a we just put it here in the picture can you just do the picture here of the product no we need to build a set for the product and put fucking colors that pop and fucking have jungle theme and have fucking you know they don't know how to go you know all the way like that so that's why it's cool for a lot of artists of people you were talking about back then people from quebec they came to montreal i see a lot of people around me they're all in marketing right now because people in, in the marketing agencies, they need people like us that's been creating content and know how to do all this. And, you know, it, it, it paid off all that, that, that 
those times I didn't make money with the, the actual part of the music, the knowledge I gained with it is what pays me today, you know? Yeah, I'm not even going to lie. Doing all of this keeps me employed because I'm in the kind of role at work where it's like, how do you prove you know things? You best be doing something in your life that proves you know things. So the fact that I'm able to keep doing interviews or keep making content, keep producing, it's not, it's less even about the, fact, the numbers. The fact, that, the fact that you chose Twitch also shows that you're, you, know, you know that it's a smart move because you could do lives right now on YouTube and have no money. But now at least on Twitch, you know, you've got nine people, a person that wants to subscribe will have to pay. Facts. So, so Twitch is the way to go for anybody mm. that wants to It's actually to one step further with it. I wanted, I wanted to go to VR, but that was too big as hell when I came into it. Even now, right. people still be looking at me funny. But um, I realized that any kind of content I could produce on Twitch could translate into a VR space in the metaverse before it was well-named by people. Because if you think about how it's going to work, it's all got to be live because you're wearing fucking headsets and shit. So YouTube got less interesting because YouTube is like video on demand. Thus it's pr and I'm not really that kind of editor. I can sit there and talk shit for like five hours if I have to. But like while I have learned a lot about editing, because if you're a professional, learn the fucking shit you hate because you will just get better at your craft. And so like I learned a lot, but ultimately I realized that once this VR shit goes mainstream, whoever's on Twitch is in for a good fucking time and YouTube people are fucked. It's going to be like Vine to YouTube again. And that's some yeah, shit. You, find the solution. you like that, that channel enough, pay to subscribe. Everybody can subscribe for free on YouTube. And Twitch, you got to pay to subscribe. Uh, the YouTubers basically fucked. Everybody I liked on YouTube some fucking Nebula and fucking Curiosity Stream, so I think I have to go on fucking Nebula and Curiosity Stream now because YouTube's getting fucking trash because none of these people be producing shit anymore on YouTube. And I'm like, right. say word. And that is, I think, what's going to happen a lot. We are definitely going to see that migration yeah. to private spaces, but I think that's kind of what even Facebook be trying to engineer and shit because, yo, this YouTube shit be wildly corporate now. Ooh. Like... Yeah. I put $126. And, and so much ads. Now there's more and more ads. So people are tired of seeing the ads. So they'll go back to a platform, ad free platform. You know, so it's always like that. So the cycles. Yeah. And that's, I, why we used to search, that's why we used to search on Yahoo and now we search on Google because there's always somebody better who's going to take over. But it's also the subscriber thing. Like, at the end of the day, I am convinced that via content and other endeavors we can create a subscriber counter like twenty thousand people like why not like if other people can do it why can't we pull that off it might take however long it takes there's moves that have to get made but like you yeah. said like that's a lot of money and then i was like thinking about it like patreon is interesting i've made more on patreon than i've made on twitch and youtube I would say Twitch right. and YouTube combined well, is what is the, is the funding, is the funding. And I haven't done well on Patreon. I've done really fucking bad. I'm not even going to lie. I'm like, I had to redo it over the next couple of weeks. Like, it's in the plans. But, like, even without trying, I managed to do pretty good on Patreon. And YouTube was garbage for a long time. YouTube's still garbage. So, it's like, Twitch is a lot of work. But, like... I, I can help you with YouTube, you know, with a small little advertising budget, at least... To put it in front of other similar shows and no no i hear you with that that's a whole other 
conversation. But it yeah, was. But I mean, if you need help, I'll, I'll be a pleasure to help you because I don't like people that have all that passion like you and spend a lot of time doing all these videos and uploading them and, and they don't, they're not seen enough, you know? So I want to help you spend all that energy to have more people see it because I think it's worth it because you're actually spending your time trying to make this good content. And, and I would love to discuss yeah. all of that and maybe figure out where to put things, but I, I don't know. I don't know what the right choice. There's a lot of choices is all I'm saying. So I hear what you're saying very open to having a conversation like that because honestly yo it's my favorite part if i can get people to marketing by the end of the interview every time i pull that off that is the big win of like that's mm -hmm. half the i love marketing i love it a lot i'm way into organic community growth and shit like that so i've been spending a lot of time on my discord lately trying to learn how to discord better i have a picture in my head of what the fuck it's gonna be then I'm going to work on the next things and whatnot. But all things considered, it's like the the fact that you can create private, you can get subscribers to whatever you do, whether it's content, a beat making site of any kind or whatever. People might just, there's, there's a dude on Twitch my girlfriend found that smokes weed and that's his entire yeah. channel. That's all he does is he smokes pot yeah. and people pay him monthly to do that. So it's like, that's the world we in. Then you can, then you look at like a VR situation and you're like, oh, so you can just design the private club. Right. And that's it. Fuck everybody else. You're either in the club or you're not. You want to come to the club? It's whatever access. Well, that's why people, they're like, oh, what's NFTs? What's NFTs? It's like, in the metaverse, when you'll have your mansion that you created, then you'll need things to decorate inside the mansion oh, instead of a Instead of a painting, it's going to be an NFT on the wall. And then... Bro, that is the be... first good yeah. explanation somebody's given me for, like, a practical use for an NFT. Say word. Yeah, because the people are buying virtual land now, right? Because there's no more land to buy in the real world. So they have to make people buy some other type of land. Well, now they're say, selling virtual lands and people are going to build their little houses and they'll be, yeah, look, I got my million dollar NFT on the wall, man, in my, my, my virtual mansion, you know? And then I'll be there with my music store inside the virtual world sell, selling background music for their houses. You know? I'm going to be one of the first, first audio stock store to uh, accept uh, all Bitcoin payment, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all of that. Yeah, that's wild, man. Yeah, People art galleries. Yo, we speak English good. Brought that up. Virtual art galleries. Like, yo, imagine some of the shit we made fun of, like, that shit's just a chip. And then in NFT land, that shit's a copywritten piece of code and no other motherfucker can reproduce that gif no more in NFT land. Ho, ho. That is super fascinating. That's why, look, I got a bad monkey picture on my, on my Instagram profile. But I didn't, I don't have it, but it's like if I took a picture of the Mona Lisa and put it on my profile, it doesn't matter. It's just, there's the real owner at the end of the day, you know? So if somebody checks me, he'll know I'm not the real owner of that particular one. But I, I'm not, I can't, I, if I want to put a picture of Mona Lisa, I could put a picture of Mona Lisa, you know what I mean? It doesn't need to, so it becomes the same type of thing. If people will go verify if that's really the owner, then yeah, but you know, everybody can use the picture still so it's kind of 
Nah, but Still, uh, you could like. I'm just trying to picture in my head uh, an imaginary what the metaverse could be like based on that house shit, bro. You could do some damage in that world with copyright on NFTs because that's what the NFT does. It makes it exclusive. Exactly. Woof. Yeah. You like getting fines for like fucking putting up artwork on your wall that you didn't own. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Virtual virtual fines. <laughs> nah, that shit's gonna be real money. Virtual cops. <laughs> yeah, real money. Cause they they like even Facebook been working on their fucking crypto for a minute. They're like, nah, we coming with this. We ready. We're gonna be there. Um But I'm excited for all of that. Man, this you got you got like a lot going on now. Like usually we don't end interviews on these notes where people are like bro i'm about to pop off and i'm worth a million dollars in a couple of years relax and i'm like okay i believe you um i'm a big believer of like the whole like running a conversation till it's good and i feel like this one was like a really proper conversation man like you taught a lot of people shit if they really listen to it again like that's just kind of what it is you give knowledge enough i respect that plus like you've got such a tenured experience with it like how many people dropped their first project in 2004 but still be thinking of ways to come up with shit to do with it in 2021 almost 2022 you know like that's a long time like like this thought this song i just made you hear you know like it's definitely a tiktok dance you can see girls like doing attitude on it i'm busy you know so i'm always trying the best leaders are the best followers too you know so you always got to still observe but well it's big facts you know like i try to constantly remind myself that ultimately the tastemakers are probably not my age i got to figure out what the trends is and how to add my blend to it and again life that like it's just important to, to to think like that i find so the fact that you're able to even do that like that was liddy i liked it i enjoyed the vibe of that and it, it could work totally on tiktok like that is and it, it's not even bad to think like that like who the fuck doesn't want to have some motherfucker doing some dance to your shit yeah because forget about the beat forget about the lyrics i just did just think about the concept how many people can relate in this world oh i'm busy at the moment gotta call you back everybody acts like that everybody prefers sending a text and calling now so it's just everybody will associate it worldwide to this message because it's just that's how everybody is right now and they they act like they're busy but they'll answer the, the messenger right away and then you're like yo i just called you you know ain't nobody gonna accept the, that you reach them back in a week now they're gonna think you're a fucking asshole but before uh back in my time little kids when I left the house and somebody left me a voicemail on my thing and I left for a week and a half and I called them back. They were like, Hey, you called me fast this time. Usually it's two weeks, but now you called me in a week and a half, man. How you doing? That's and it was wild. fine. That's and a wild era to think about when you could just ignore people comfortably. <laughs> it's not even ignored them. It's just, there was no other possibility of reaching you. So it's mm, just, they, that's a cool. fact. But now they don't understand. Cause they're like, wait, I know you have your phone in your hand every fucking second. How come you don't see my message, motherfucker? You know, I'm not pulling like that with me. I'm just exaggerating for everybody watching. No, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you, bro. At a certain point in time, I have to have the, just because it says red 
doesn't mean I read it conversation with people because right. I'm like right. notoriously bad sometimes at clicking on shit to get rid of notifications. So yeah, my phone be in my hand. But I man, mean, people don't understand. It could be like an email. Like I'll look at an email, but I want to take my time to answer. So do you want me to just answer some like quick message and not think about what I'm going to write? Or you want me to think about what you ask? You know, so it's all about respect at the end of the day. It just starts like, don't take it bad if somebody don't fix you right away, man. It's like people got lives, they got kids, they got fucking things to do, man. So stop acting like you're the number one priority on the road and you have to fucking go faster or fucking act like you're so important. Nobody's, nobody thinks of you when they go back home, you know what I mean? So just think of yourself and just make it a, a good life for yourself and don't fucking try to piss people off for nothing and just do your thing, man. Like, Stop acting like you're so important. If you if you are, you are, and you'll re, you'll be respected. You're important. You got things to do. You're gonna get back to me. But even though, if you're not important, it's okay. You don't have to get back to me too. It, it's just as long as you keep the, the respect and the communication alive. You know, at some point, I got people that sometimes text me. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I wasn't too much on my Facebook. Blah, 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 and I respect that. You know, it's it's fine. Uh, but in the business world, it's unacceptable. <laughs> depending on the pay grade <laughs> and, where and even you clients come back to clients you know like if you example you if you're looking for something today and the live chat won't assist you the right way you know those live chats sometimes that you send a message and there's nobody answering right away and they're like they'll email you later then you're like I don't want to wait for an email later. Let me go on the other website that has a similar service that has a live chat with somebody that I want to talk now. And then, yeah, and then you want shit instantly, you know? Instant that's ramen facts, noodles. Though. That's big. That, that's Instant how people ramen are. Noodles. Especially when it comes to shit you don't want, but like you have to get. But yeah, um, nah, it's big again. I work in customer service, so the fact is chatbots that are responsive is hella important. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I, I don't want to end the conversation on chatbot, but music-wise, you know, much respect to you to uh, to show me some love and and, and show some shine on that, on somebody that that still did a still did a couple steps, you know, in the Quebec scene here in Montreal and. You could ask about me. Any OG from the city knows me. If you're talking about, you know, in pas, sans pression, DJ crowd, all the fucking, all the people, soldier, everybody that you, that's making it right now, it was just at the same level as me. Just they got some grant support. They got some other things going on that's good for them, and I'm all happy for them, and I'm all happy and proud of the people from my city who put it on. Much respect to all of you. Who, 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 who still who still holds Quebec City and Montreal on your back and represent these labels that fought for years to get the, the right financial support to push on the ground hip hop and, and urban music the way we can push it today, you know? So I ain't got nothing but love and respect for all the newcomers and everybody doing their thing here and, and everybody that used to do it with me that went further in their career. I'm all proud of y'all motherfuckers and I'm happy to say I know y'all, you know what I mean? So. Everybody got their different paths, but you know, don't hate, just fucking share that shit, man. If you know somebody, stop judging and if the shit is at the level that you want it to be. If you know that person, just share it, man. You know what I mean? Like stop fucking, you know, if you know somebody, share the shit, you know? Stop, stop. <laughs> somebody might think it's good. Like you said, you know, uh, there's different levels. 
but you don't don't be a hater. That's why all the reposting on Instagram is working because I'm showing all this love, you know. And then it's fucking boosting the whole account up because everybody's like, oh, you were posting my shit. I'll follow him. Oh, oh, he reposted the shit of the guy I know I follow and this that. Oh, I'll follow him too. And that's why. Yeah, so that's how it works, though. But yeah, I appreciate you again. And keep doing your thing, though, because it's inspiring to hear people talk about how they can flip their life into things and then have further goals and be able to pursue it, but all while making the music you want, because you can, because you figured out how to, you, like, I've been trying to, like, like, one of the things I noticed classic rappers say is, get your money up, and you figured it out, and now you're able to move the things, and that's, I mean, the day, the day I'm going to make 100k a month with my site, it won't be nothing for me to pay myself a $50,000 video. And everybody's going to say, hey, Fran, why the fuck are you going to pay a $50,000 video when you could do four videos for that price? It's because all my career, I did those low-budget videos. And I just feel now, at this point, when I'm going to reach that point, I deserve for myself to pay myself a $50,000 video. And I want all the props built around it and all the actors and all the fucking shit. And I want it to be as crazy as Busta Rhymes or Outkast videos and y'all gonna be like what the fuck is this video and y'all gonna understand how good visuals can impact the 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 how people will think of, uh, how we, people will relate to a song you know what i mean because that's the only thing in my career i didn't like is just i never felt my visuals were up the like my music was here my visuals were always like a bit you know i didn't never have the big budget videos you know I just want that crispy ass video now with all the actors, all the fucking scenes, 10,000 suits, different, you know, <laughs> doing all these crazy things and, and, and be out, stand, stand out, you know? So when you see this busy at the moment video, you're going you're gonna to be like, damn, that's some different shit. You're going to want to play it again, you know? So I'm not going to go in a corner store, just wrap in front of a corner store in my homie's apartment and and on St. Catherine Street and, uh, you know, on Mount Royal, you know, like, I'm going to build some sets, you know, and I'm going to make it like a fucking real movie. And I deserve it. And other people are going to say, fuck, you should pay 10 videos, like, you could get many videos for that price. But, you know, budget goes quick when you got million dollar ideas in the Hollywood movies in your head, you know? How many times did you did a song in, in your head you, you were thinking, shit, I could do this scene and this scene and it's going to be like that. And you see the whole movie in your fucking head and yeah. then you go down to the sheet and then you're like, okay, what can I afford today on my video shoot? Okay, so the first five ideas are costing way too much than my budget, so let's go back to this one. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, instead of ten girls, there'll be only two, and I wanted five cars, there will be one. <laughs> That's kind of what it is, though, because like, you can picture it all, but then... You just got to figure out what you can get in that moment. We just got a question. Uh, what's your go-to music video? Like your favorite one? My go-to music video? Um, in, of all times? I mean, uh, Put Your Hands Where My Eyes Can See Him from Busta Rhymes is, uh, is one of my favorite videos of all times because just like an, an elephant walking by his side in the video, like a fucking tribal shit. Back then, the glow, the glow in the dark, the fucking tribes with the hands, crazy man. Like, I never saw a video. Well, I saw some of Missy Elliott videos that were like on some next level, but that was one of the 
memorable ones, you know, and uh, my other top, I would say, was the first video for Wu-Tang Forever when they came with that whole killer bees attacking the cities and they were like nine MCs on a song. Like that video, I watched it so much, you know, so you know, some top videos. Um, besides that, uh, Big Punisher, Big Punisher, what you gonna do back then? What you gonna do when don't you know, knocking at your door? Yo. So yeah, man, that's a couple of them. And anybody else got some more questions? Yeah, does anyone else have questions? That's a good question, Stills. Is yeah, Lindell's there. Lindell likes to ask questions. He 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 found a way to ask that in a way that people will answer. He used to go, "What's your top whatever?" and then people would freeze, and I had to be like, "Bro, I can't be asking this question. It keeps messing up the." the flow of like the so he's practiced the way he asked the questions to make sure it works nice and i like the way you did that linda that was good delivery um you could have you could have maybe to end your show you could end it always on the same like concept i know certain shows they have a concept like just the three type of questions you always ask at the end honestly it's so random with that shit because yo the length of the show has been as short as 45 minutes and as long as five hours and then it just five hours. i yeah, swear yeah. we've gone five hours yo we're actually planning one for new year's day it's gonna be like eight nine hours we want to like break the record and like this guy wants to set the record so high that nobody else can beat it and i'm like fine the only day of the year you're gonna pull this off is january 1st and so we agreed but like yeah it ended up being like if the conversation's proper and everybody has all the time in the world and the energy's right and whatever whatever they've gone that long but usually not everybody goes that long the average length is two to three hours but then it just kind of flows in i like to like recap compliment and then it tangents and then it goes and then we just kind of you know wrap it up with that shit when it just kind of feels natural that's that's how i feel like it's more a podcast than anything else in that regard because the like it's like i know even like the hustle podcast they have their little jewel at the end and a lot of people do that but i feel like i put my gimmicky shit at the beginning with that question you know like that that's like loaded question every single time but i'm not doing a 12 hours one right away We'll see about that shit. Twelve hours in a chair is awful. We have we have to have a standing part of that fucking stream. That's a long stream. But you know what though? Sometimes it's good marketing to say words like twelve hour extravaganza. Yeah, you gotta try it. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, uh, yeah. you can have a lot. Yeah, even on Twitch, that's what's cool. You want to drop a cool emoji and it costs you money. So the more pe the more chances you got. That's facts. But yeah, um, I think it's incredible the life that you've gone through and everything. All of your links are available down below in the, the description of the future videos. And in the current video, we can get the links with the... Oh, she did it. Dropped the links with the fucking macro that we made for it. So it just popped up again in the chat. So appreciate you coming through everybody make sure to come follow subscribe all that good stuff bump his stuff and keep your eyes out for that future website because it's gonna be fucking blessed to be able to stock up your footage just a tiny little preview oh say word
five to five, and then you'll, you'll be able to like have the whole wave and you could just like dive straight into it and play them and go through the waves. That's cool. So uploading and uploading, it's filtered by mood and all your shit here, by duration, tempo. So that's what it is. That's what it is so far. And yo, when that's out, y'all make sure to go follow that. That's fucking incredible, dude. But on that note, everybody, we are going to raid end of the week who are doing their big championship $5,000 prize thing of which Basics is participating. So if they're still alive, fucking go show love there. And uh, on that note, dude, it was wonderful to have you. I'd love to talk to you more in the future, see what's up with you. Live long. Keep in touch, my man. Thanks for for having me. Live long, prosper, everybody. Thank you.